This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. First up this hour, Sarawak's Tourism Ministry is planning to promote traditional longhouses as homestays. So this comes from Datuk Sri Abdul Karim Rahman Hamza, who is the Minister of Tourism, Creative Industry and Performing Arts Sarawak. And what he said was that the longhouses being identified for this initiative are between Cebu and Kapit, and that these homestays would provide tourists with a unique experience as well as boost the state's tourism industry and contribute to the rural economy. He did say, however, that this was incumbent on the village chief and community of the Longhouse because um, they obviously live there. It's part of their daily life. So whether they wanted their Longhouses to be used as homestays um, and, and because they're privately owned. Yeah, you know, I think uh, many of us think of Srawa as this really large space um, and uh, in which the, the they are unique kind of differences between the peninsula and and the state and the territory. Um, The reasons to go, I've been for work, I've been for pleasure, uh, I went for a music festival, I went to the Mulu Caves uh, to explore that part of Sarawak. And I I really say, you know, I must say that uh, it was a unique experience in the sense that, I mean, as beautiful as the peninsula is, there are things that are quite different about the landscape in Sarawak. So I understand that actually informal homestays in longhouses is already a thing. I've uh, seen a number of websites promoting it. Um, in fact, back when I was in secondary school, I was part of a young journalist program that took us on an ex- expedition to Sarawak, and I got to stay at a longhouse, which was very special. Um, it was one of the. It's one of the memories that I still remember to t- till today. I wonder though how having the state sort of carrying this out as a formalized program might benefit this as an idea, because I do have concerns in terms of. Um, Ecology, for instance, uh, cultural heritage. How much of a change are we talking about it if this whole thing becomes, um, I suppose, industrialized in a particular sense? Uh, but personally speaking, Shamila, is, is a homestay something that's attractive to you as a tourist or a traveler? Um, Yes and no. I've never done it in Malaysia, to be fair. Um, I've never done it in Malaysia. I like the idea a lot. Um, I think if I think about the Airbnbs that I've stayed at in other countries, which happen to be in parts of the country that otherwise maybe I wouldn't go to and maybe offers a very localized experience. Yes, I think I would. Um, I do really enjoy it. Um, and I also know that they're very popular here uh, for tourists who come to visit as well, because it's different from staying in, say, a city center. Yeah, it's true. But I, I, there's a difference between Airbnb, which might be somebody's or might have been somebody's house, uh, and a homestay at the concept which suggests that you are somehow embedded into the family yes. or the domestic life of uh, of that, you know, that family, and so there, there is, um, there's a promise of an experience that you wouldn't otherwise get in a situation where it's much more transactional. Yes, and it does bring in um, the local experience. It creates a sort of, like you said, it's it's a it's almost an in between between an in between state um, of travel and staying with somebody or staying with a family, right? And and I think there's a lot there. Um, I am interested to find out how it would benefit overall um, 
the tourism that is uh, coming into Sarawak. We will be speaking after this with Nigel Wong, President of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents. Uh, but in the meantime, send your thoughts through as well. Have you been to Sarawak? What did you enjoy? If you haven't, what would you like to see? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Being first matters. BFM eighty nine point nine. It's five thirteen. You're listening to the evening edition with Sharmila and Sharad, and we're talking about an effort by the Sarawak State Government to create homestay programs uh, from their traditional longhouses. So we've been asking you. Have you been to Sarawak? What did you enjoy? And if you haven't, what would you like to see? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Nigel Wong, President of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents. Nigel, good to have you with us. Hello. What are your thoughts on the Sarawak Tourism Ministry's plans to identify more longhouses to convert into homestays? Well, I think it's a great idea. Um, if you've ever lived in one of the longhouses, it's actually a very, very unique experience. And this is a product which I think Malaysia, you know, uh, will be um, well, it's special to Malaysia. You know, so it's going to be a very interesting new product to put out into the market. Uh, and it'll be a great experiential tour, uh, you know, uh, it'll make for a great experiential tour package. Now, we understand that because the Longhouse uh, is a traditional attraction in Sarawak, uh, but how many of them are available as homestays? And in fact, how popular are they? Well, at the moment, to our knowledge, uh, there aren't many available. Some of them are available at uh pre-constructed or, or pre-designed, uh, you know, tourism or cultural villages. Um, but there are not very many to name. Um, I've actually lived in some of the longhouses with the tribes themselves, but they're not officially open for homestays. So uh, if they manage to convert and prep more of these longhouses as a tourism product, I dare say we're going to see quite a few more. So... How effective do you think they are going to be in terms of offering that authentic and immersive experience of Sarawak life and culture? Oh, I think they're going to be great. Um, if you've ever stayed in a longhouse, um, it's, it's, it's very interesting because you're immediately immersed in the culture of the tribe you're staying with, you know, and uh, by virtue of who these people are, they include you in their activities. So when you stay at a longhouse, it's not just a room that you're going to board in for the night and it's not just a meal they're going to serve you. You're literally going to be exposed to the people who live there. Uh, you're going to be up close and personal with them. Uh, they're naturally friendly. You're going to learn a lot about their culture just by spending a night or two with them. So it's, it's very, very immersive, very, very authentic. Nigel, we also have, if I can just follow up on that, on the question of authenticity, you know, these cultural villages that's, that produce uh, a sense of, uh, you know, what communities across the territory of Sarawak are like. Um, they also give you a bit of a bit of music, they get a bit of, bit of food and so on, so on and so forth. Is that what we're looking at? I mean, should um, visitors coming kind of expect that rather than a kind of... Um, authentic in the in the broadest sense of it. 
Well, there are ways to convey authenticity. Um, so if you're coming in for a very short stay, there's only so much you can do. Um, there are uh, longhouses or even homestays, you know, uh, with the Orang Asli or other tribes where if you're in there for a short stay, they take you uh, and uh, along on some of their key activities. Uh, most often this includes uh, meal preparation, um, gathering. Uh, most of these uh, uh, you know, will involve bringing you into the jungles to show you their way of life, how they get the food, how they forage. Uh, in some cases, probably even how they hunt, although not literally, but they do tell you how it's done. Uh, and then they may have a bit of folk song here and there, get to meet some of the family members, maybe participate in the dance and hear some stories. Now that's mostly for a very short stay. But I believe that for longer stays, uh, where tourists have at least a week or, or more with them, they're going to be able to uh, enjoy the experience of daily life, you know, in the kampung or, or together with the longhouse. And that will involve, um, you know, other activities uh, such as probably even uh, visiting their places of education, their schools, interacting with the children, um, going into the fields, you know, if they're growing things, you know, and a whole range of other things that they can do. But it really depends on the length of staying in the longhouses themselves. Now, of course, there are already longhouses that are offering these sorts of homestays on a more informal basis. Um, a quick Google gives you a number of options that one can already book. What would the state government's involvement add to these experiences? Well, first and foremost, uh, just having a homestay itself isn't enough because travellers uh, will have certain expectations, uh, even though they may be very basic. For example, cleanliness, accessibility, uh, and even just preparedness for what to expect when you stay in a longhouse. For example, uh, I may be in a rural area where there is no or very unreliable internet connection. And these are things that uh, the longhouse residents uh, will either have to be trained to address or the government will have to provide funding to ensure that these basic needs are uh, provided for. So the government's involvement is good because it's going to allow the longhouses to maybe upgrade some of the facilities and to also provide training on how to welcome hosts uh, and make sure that you know visitors and tourists feel comfortable and can enjoy the best of the homestay experience. Right. So that's on the government side and things that they can do at scale, perhaps. But what would communities have to do themselves in order to uh, to uh, be ready for this? You know, what kind of upgrades to the existing longhouses um, and how much would that impact uh, the, the site's heritage and ecology? Do you see some sort of trade-off happening? Working. Okay. Um I personally believe that if you're going for an authentic experience, you shouldn't try to change as many things as you can. But that being said, again, if we're going to cater to uh, more tourists, then that basic level of comfort needs to be addressed. Now, this can be done without impacting the way society actually uh, you know, lives or the environment that they're staying in. For example, ensuring that uh, toilet facilities are clean and, uh, you know, up to a level of, uh, you know, acceptable standards by tourists coming over. Uh, accessibility to the village could be improved a little more. Now, that may uh, involve maybe the widening of paths or, you know, the inclusion of signage, 
uh, or even a service that makes it easy for tourists to get to and from these longhouses. And so all these things can be done without really affecting the way of life uh, of, the, of, the, of the villagers. So in a wider sense then, how have you seen these sorts of eco-culture tourism efforts help to bolster and contribute to local communities? Okay, so first and foremost, they're definitely going to see an increase in their revenue and uh, and because of that, the standard in, in their living. Uh, so that's a very obvious benefit. Uh, they're going to be able to uh, expand what they do commercially. For example, uh, many of these uh, communities have their own handicrafts, for example, uh, or, or foods that they've prepared. And they're going to be able to upscale, you know, uh, what they do by creating more of these products to sell to tourists when they arrive. Uh, the danger here, of course, is to ensure that this doesn't get out of hand so that it ruins the authenticity of the experience. Um, apart from that, they're definitely going to be exposed to a lot more culture. And this is generally good because it adds to the education of the communities as a whole, meeting different people, sharing experiences, understanding you know, uh, uh, people from other countries, and it's going to be a very, very holistic and very rewarding and fruitful learning experience. So these are some of the two, uh, probably two of the main things that they're going to benefit from. Now, what kind of support do uh, prospective homestay operators need in order to create a more seamless experience? Thinking about you know booking systems or increased uh, accessibility, as you just mentioned. Okay, Um if it comes to the business side of things, they can always reach out to uh, agents, for example, uh, platforms and people who already have these booking facilities available. Uh, working with travel agents, for example, gives them an itch because travel agents will provide the promotions that go along with these experiences. Um, but I think most importantly, they need uh, education and training. So this is going to be the key thing that governments and even private stakeholders will need to uh, provide or work with the communities uh, to provide them these skills. Um, of course, a little bit of funding will go a long way to helping the communities upgrade their existing facilities. Just want to follow up on that. You mentioned agents, uh, but we also have this as a government initiative. What would you like to see? Would you like to see it centralized or would you like the market in, you know, to kind of direct things? Um, look, I don't think you can really centralize uh, everything. Um, I would put it this way. Uh, the government should come in to foster and to drive this initiative. But at the end of the day, it's going to have to be put back into the hands of the communities and the tourism economy that supports these communities. So uh, agents, for example, are going to be one crucial point. Now, they're going to be able to come in and they're going to be able to work with these communities in the long term. They will interact with them on a working level basis, understand the changing requirements of the villagers and the tourists, and more often than not, be able to help both parties uh, you know, adjust expectations to meet halfway. And the government here, their sole role or their main role should be to kickstart and drive this initiative, provide additional funding, the training, connect the villagers to all these different industry stakeholders, maybe monitor them as we go along and continue to promote and encourage this interaction and let you know, the nature of business take, take its course. 
Nigel, just to close off, how else would you like to see Sarawak be promoted as a travel destination in a sustainable manner? The one good thing about Sarawak uh, is that it is mostly untouched in terms of tourism and they've got a lot of uh, attractions, a lot of hidden gems that maybe even Malaysians haven't seen or don't even know about. And, you know, we've always been talking about uh, sustainable tourism and high-yield tourism. And like many of the other attractions overseas, I would probably say that Sarawak should learn to cultivate its resources. Uh, Don't sell it off cheap, you know, in that sense of the word. Make sure that the mechanisms they put in place uh, guarantee a great experience for tourists who will then be willing to pay more, uh, not just to experience the attraction, but also understanding that by paying, they're actually helping to do their part in conserving, preserving, and encouraging the growth you know, of local communities that you know, are caretakers of these uh, wonderful natural resources that we have. Nigel, thanks for speaking with us today. Pleasure. That was Nigel Wong, president of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents, weighing in on uh, a piece of news out of the Sarawak Tourism Ministry that they are planning to convert more homestays, uh, more longhouses into homestays. So we've been asking you, well, have you been to Sarawak? What did you enjoy? And if you haven't, what else would you like to see? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018 Seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, I think we have time on this side of things for a message that has come in from Belinda, who says, uh, "I just recently went to Mulu Caves, visited four caves, namely the Lung Cave, the Deer Cave, the Wind Cave, and the Clear Water Cave. They're just awesome. Nature is powerful. We stayed in um, a resort. It would be wonderful if we could have stayed in a longhouse. I still think Sarawak needs to do a lot more to publicize their tourist areas. Next, I'm visiting Barrio." and definitely doing a homestay. And then Belinda also shared uh, some very nice photos from the caves. Yeah, well, you know, like Belinda, I've actually been to the Mulu Caves. Uh, I didn't stay at the high-end hotel that she mentioned. <laughs> I stayed uh, actually within the uh, the. Um, the reserve and, and they provide housing and a, a lovely restaurant and it's very professional, uh, you know, and the facilities around were organized in a way that made it very easy uh, and I felt safe all the time. And there were things that we had to do that took a bit of effort in, in climbing into caves, but you, you don't, you can't do the splunking uh, unless you are certified. So, right. so I think for most of us, it's doable and as you know, Belinda said, it is extraordinary. Nature there just presents itself in this amazing way. I think also what Nigel said earlier about how so much of Sarawak, even to the average Malaysian, um, isn't super familiar. Uh, certainly, it's something that I've been trying to do better with, uh, to think of um, our own uh, backyard as, as places to visit on holidays rather than just to go off somewhere else. Um, and I do think that part of it has to do with this, that sometimes you don't think about you don't think about it because you don't know what there is to see or do. Um, and certainly, the more information that comes out of both Sabah and Sarawak, I think the more helpful for us over here in the peninsula. Um, keep your thoughts coming. We will continue the conversation after this. Have you been to Sarawak? What did you enjoy? And if you haven't, what would you like to see? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. 
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.